Good morning, Beacon. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm trying to sound like Pastor Lawrence. I couldn't do it. I don't know how he does. That's amazing. Hope you guys had a great time with uh, Pastor Lawrence uh, here. I uh, did listen to uh, him on Sunday, and then I just had to go back and hear his voice just a few more times just because uh, I just love um, having him here and uh, what a blessing it is to, uh, to uh, be able to be taught by him. So I've told you guys now that I uh, started uh, back in social media a little bit uh, ago, and I'm mostly spending my time uh, on social media watching animal videos. I just, I, it's just kind of like the thing that's got my attention right now. So if you happen to find any really great, funny animal videos, feel free to send them, but I've probably seen them because I think I'm starting to repeat them now. And uh, one of the ones that I really, I thought were super funny are when you get videos of animals that are copying people. Animals who like, they, they uh, copy them, like, you know, like this one, right? Like you can actually see animals who are imitating us. All you guys with retrievers are like, yes, they do this. They're so smart. They're the smartest dogs. I couldn't find any good ones with cats. Uh, oh wait, I did, just kidding. Look at that, that's so cool. So yeah, you have these whole, all these videos of, of like animals that are like trying to copy people, which I think is, is super funny. And of course that gets you down there and you're like, well, that's cool. But I wonder if, if you could find, you know, videos of, of people who are copying animals. And you know, you can, you can actually get a whole bunch of them, um, which mostly it's kids, you know, as you would expect. <laughs> oh no, this can't be good. <laughs> yep. Gee. <laughs> it thinks we let videos happen. It's great. <laughs> so this is like a nearly bottomless pit. We could do this absolutely all morning. And so it got me thinking, like, you know, this whole imitation thing, it's just so really cute. Um, but what, but, but like, what if they're, what if they're copying things that aren't good? Like, you know, what if, like we should, that's interesting. Like, to, how powerful is this impulse? And it, apparently experts tell us that humans love imitating. It's actually one of the main ways we learn in the early years. And other social scientists will tell us it's actually a huge part of human learning, that we are just by nature imitators. We will see things around us and then we will actually do those things, sometimes almost even at a subconscious level. And the scriptures know this and the scriptures talk about this time and again. The Bible will paint all of these different pictures, but it will largely be about one main idea, which is that there are two models that are out there in the world, just two models, and you're going to imitate one of them. That's what the scriptures tell us. It goes by a whole lot of different kinds of names and examples, metaphors that are used, but there are two models that you will imitate in this life. One we can call the pattern of this world, and the other is the will of God. You can see it back from the Garden of Eden, and you'll weave it through the whole of the scriptures, and so many of the warnings and encouragements of the prophetic literature, as well as the poetry, like the Psalms and Proverbs, and it talks about this. 
You will either imitate the pattern of this world or you will imitate the will of God. Now, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Go ahead and open up in uh, a Bible to Romans 12, 1 and 2. We're going to be in, that, in this passage. It's just two short verses. We're going to be in it all morning, though. And th- the, this, this is pretty remarkable because that's what the gist of these very short but very important verses is all about. And in the book of Romans, this is a key transitional period. And so the first 11 chapters of Romans, will it gives us all of this incredibly rich theology. It takes us through the whole condition of humanity, from, from how we were created by God and what happened to us and how we fell and how we rebelled. And then it just brings us all the way through to God's incredible love and his forgiveness for us. That goes from one chapter 1 to chapter 11. And then there's this transitional chapter, 12. And from 12 to the end of Romans, he's largely going to now apply that theology to tell us how to live. And these two verses are the transition verses between the theology section and the practice section. And we get to learn so much about it. So it, it, we're doing this series. It's called Superlative. And what we're going to see here is that if you want to live this superlative Christian life, then we're going to have to increasingly yield our whole mind, our whole body, in fact, our whole life to God and to whatever his plan is for us. So I want us to read Romans 12. If you're in the New International Version, uh, that would be good. You read that good and loud um, for us, but we're going to read Romans uh, 12 verses 1 and 2 together. If you're in one of the other translations, you can mumble it a little quieter. Uh, But but let's go ahead and read it together. Uh, Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Let me start again because I misfired there. You guys are on a different. Let's do it again. Ready? Verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So this whole process starts with a decision. Starts with a decision. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's Mercy. So God's mercies here, it's a key idea because it's his mercies that will actually form the foundation, the basis by which we will grow in Christ, that we will grow up to full maturity in Jesus. Now, if you want to think about this mercy thing in its context, you would have to go back and read all of Romans from 1 to 11 to get there. But I'm just going to give you a quick summary of what it says, because this is really not just kind of his one mercy to you. This is, the, this is a way of explaining the whole of his mercies, the whole of his merciful plan for you. And if you go back to the very beginning of Romans, it starts with this idea that we are undeserving sinners, that we have rebelled against God, that we've actually done what we ought not to do, and that we actually know that we've done wrong. Then it goes on to tell us that God, because we lost access to him through our rebellion and through our sin, that God gave us his son as a gift, 
That's what, that's what Easter is all about. It's Good Friday and Easter, and it's the, it's the death of Christ. It's what we're going to recognize soon here together when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, communion. But he gave his son. And because he gave his son, now we can be made right with God by faith, by trusting in the sacrifice that Jesus made. Which means we don't earn salvation. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to fear that we're losing it. That we in fact have this incredible gift from God. This is one of his mercies. That we're justified freely by his grace. And then we're told that he sends his spirit to us. That's one of his other mercies. He sends his spirit. And that spirit lives in us. Indwells us. Enables. Empowers us. To live the life that we've been called to live. And then he says he makes us his children. Time and again. You go through all of Romans 1 through 11. You'll just see his mercy upon mercy upon mercy. This is just a sample of the mercies that God has poured out on us. So, so God. What, the, the way you can kind of see it is God looks at our miseries. And he offers us his mercies. Have you experienced that? God looks at our misery and he offers us his mercy. That's the whole of what we've seen happen in the book of Romans so far. This is an incredible statement. And what's this decision we have to make? Well, it's simple. Will you let God's mercies turn your life upside down, inside out? Will you let God's mercies transform you, change you, impact every part of your existence? It's his mercies that will do it. We're going to see how. The decision to embrace God's mercy, it leads to the next step. The next step here is to surrender. And it's the surrender of your whole self. Look at the second half of verse 1. He says, To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. One of the neat things about the, uh, kind of the theology of the New Testament is how different it was from Greek thought in the day. Because in their day, the body was a prison. You, you didn't, the body was what you wanted to shed. You wanted to get past your physical body. And you wanted to make certain you were soul, you were spirit, you were something above and better than body. Some people today still have a similar idea that, that our body is actually the problem. But he tells us here to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And so there's a physicality to our worship, which is such a neat thing because we see it already, right? We come here to gather, we gather in body. In fact, we are called a body. And so what do we do when we worship? Well, often we're, we're singing a song. You'll see someone raise their hand in worship. It's a statement of their surrender or of reaching out to God. See, it's a physical part of worship. Or maybe you're, you're in your prayer time. Or maybe you're just going to, you know, you're going to spend some time reflecting on Jesus. And so you close your eyes and you hold a picture of Jesus or his love for you before your mind and you just concentrate and, and meditate and ruminate. It's a physicality. You're closing your eyes and, and you're participating in this way. Or maybe you're going to go home and you're going you're gonna to go down on your knees and pray. And that's a part of how you worship. It's, there's, it's a physical piece. 
I've seen some folks who are who are look like they're they're yelling at their radio because they're just singing at the top of their lungs in their car, right? And so they look kind of like lunatics. But you know what's going on, right? Because they're like they got this song and they can't get it out of their heart and they're just singing at the top of their lungs, loving it. It's physical, and it's good, but it's also much more than just this, these physical expressions of our worship. These are important, but it's more because when he talks of your bodies here, it really refers to the whole person. And not just the whole person in the act of singing or of prayer, but in the act of living. So that the whole of your life will become a sacrifice to God. And so there's an emphasis on this being part of the whole person and how you interact with the world, right? So here in the sanctuary, certainly you're a living sacrifice and you're offering up your true and proper worship. But when you leave here and you're in the cafe, you are also a living sacrifice. And how you interact and the things you think about and the things you talk about and the encouragement you offer or refuse to offer or the the other-centeredness or the self-centeredness that manifests on the other side of that wall still an act of worship. Still part of being a living sacrifice. And when you leave here and you're driving home and you're still thinking about the service or maybe, you know, you're starting to get a little bit more wrapped up in what's coming next and your to-do list and all of a sudden someone rips over and cuts you off and you turn around and you flip them the sign of peace because that's what you're going to do, right? You just peace out, cool, because you're not going to lose it, right? But, and when you get home and you yell at your kids or you fail to hold your wife's hand or when you get home from work and you don't give your husband a kiss, all part of the physicality of using your body as a living sacrifice. You're surrendering the whole of yourself. So in the temple, obviously this idea of a sacrifice goes back to the Jewish temple. So in the temple, you would walk in and there on the side would be this giant bronze altar. And that's where all the people would come and they would sacrifice, the priests would take their offerings, their animals, and they would sacrifice these animals and they would, they would burn these offerings to God. And you would bring a perfect spotless sacrifice and then, and then you would burn it on the altar and it's, and it's described as the aroma of the offering going up to God. He would be pleased with this sacrifice. And it was complete and it was utter. It was the whole thing. You would just, you would burn this offering and it would go up to God. This is a sacrifice. That's what he's talking about. That's a dead sacrifice though. But we learn a lot from that picture because there has to be a willingness to die to yourself and die to the world in order to live bound to God. That's kind of this imagery of a living sacrifice. And so how we actually do that in this world matters. And to grow in Christ, it means surrendering the whole of your life. Every part of you. And trusting in his mercy. And that means that we get to rest in that mercy. It means we don't have to be striving. You see, surrender is such a beautiful word for this. Because you're giving yourself over in trust. How many of us, we flail about. We can't stop the the manic efforting 
that we do in order to try to obtain God's mercy. But we've already made a decision. You have God's mercy if you want it. And so we don't need to flail about on the offering. I mean, that is the problem with a living sacrifice, right? I, uh, some of you guys know a friend of mine, Armando. Uh, he, uh, he works for us sometimes. And, and, uh, and uh, one day uh, we were doing some work over at the New Hyde Park campus while we uh, were kind of, we still had that campus. And so the job for the day was an early morning work. We had a whole lot of concrete sidewalks and, and things, patio area that all needed new concrete work. And so we had ripped it all out and we put, laid all of this great, great new concrete. And uh, those of you who know Armando know that he, he, you know, he just can't sit still. He has to constantly uh, be working, which is amazing. It's great. Um, he loves it. it. It makes his days go fast, the whole thing. But this particular day, everyone left early morning. Uh, and I just said, all right, you know, I got one job for you for the rest of the day. I need you to watch the concrete dry. And he looks at me like, well, you've lost your mind. Like, you can't. I'm like, no, but like, seriously, we just spent all this money on getting the concrete. And I know some kid's going to take his bike through it or some animal's going to run across it. And somebody's going to try to carve their initials in it while it's still wet. I just, it's all like active sidewalk. I need somebody here just to watch the concrete dry. And once it's dry, then we'll be done. But it's pretty much going to take all day. So you just need to watch the concrete dry. He's like, ah, oh, no, man, I don't want to. I'm like, come on, you sh that's what we need you to do. Just watch, rest, relax, get a chair, grab a book, just watch the concrete dry. So I came back a couple hours later, and uh, no, he was not watching the concrete dry. He was picking the weeds from around the area behind him. He couldn't stop and just do nothing. He had to do something, right? And so I asked him, I'm like, hey, man, like, I needed you to watch the concrete dry. Like, what happened? And he's like, ah, Mr. Kelly, he calls me Mr. Kelly. He says, listen, my, my friends drove by in a truck, a bunch of my friends, and they saw me sitting here doing nothing. <laughs> And they started yelling at me, you're lazy. What are you doing? Why aren't you working? Why are you doing something? He's like, I, I couldn't just sit there anymore. I had to start doing something. So I'm trying to, to pick the weeds and watch the concrete dry. And so this is just a classic moment, right? Because, of course, the pressure of the world around him and what the expectations of others are, it makes it hard for us to simply surrender to yield, to rest, to dwell in his mercies. We're going to talk a lot more about that next week, but I need to kind of frame it for us today. See, living sacrifices can't stop wriggling. You guys are expert wrigglers. I'm an expert wriggler. I'm there on that altar, and I want to just surrender, and I want to rest, and I want to see what God has for me, but then I hear this, and I see that, and I think this, and all of a sudden, I just start wriggling, and I wriggle right off of that altar. See, this next step is key for us because once you have based your growth in Christ and your pursuit of him on his mercies that you have decided to surrender to, then the work begins. But if you reverse this, you're getting it all backwards. Now you can begin to resist. Look at verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This idea, do not conform, it means that you've got to resist all of the things that the world, that this age, is pressing in upon you. How it's trying to shape you. You need to resist this. You know, it means that we don't take our, 
our color. It, doesn't, it means we don't take our flavor from the world around us. We don't take our cues from the values around us. This week I've been thinking about uh, chameleons. Anybody have a chameleon? I don't know if any. I wanted to get one one time, but I hear they're terribly hard to keep. And so uh, chameleons, I got a very cool kid's book. You don't have to worry. This is all safe and legit um, for kid's books. And so the, the, the chameleon is a fascinating thing. I didn't know this, but a chameleon is, it, the words chameleon come from earth lion. So the people that named it, named it the earth lion, of course, because it kind of has this ferocious sort of a look. But it's sort of an ironic name, right? Because the chameleon is like on the bottom of the food chain. Like they eat, eat, it eats bugs and that's it. And then everything else in the, in the forest or the jungle eats it. And so it's like hardly a line. It's like all the way down at the bottom. It has almost no defense mechanisms, except of course what you see here in the picture, which is pretty amazing, right? Like you just kind of see them hiding, hiding in there if your resolution is good. Because this is of course what chameleons do. They blend in. And you can't really blame them since they're at the bottom of the food chain. Everything wants to eat it. They're juicy. And so you can imagine someone kind of crawling through the, the forest and all of a sudden the chameleon's like, yeah. they just freeze. And they kind of blend in. And they hope that nothing sees it move. Because that's what makes it safe. Sometimes when I freeze like that, I wonder if the people online think that they lost their stream. Uh, what was I saying? There was something important here. Oh, there it is. All right, so I think this is what we often do. I think we feel as if we are unsafe in this world. I think we're worried, we're nervous that we don't have the status. We don't have the security. We don't have the financial uh, respect that we need. We don't have the relational capital that we want. We don't have what the world tells us we need to be safe in this world. And what we do in fear is blend in. And we pick up our color from the world around us. We pick it up from the culture. And we start living by those values. And the scriptures here are telling us we need to resist it and what an irony it is, because if we really feel like we're not safe, and so we have to blend into the systems and the structures of this world, and if we have to trust in that, in our blending in for our safety, then what we're really saying is that we don't trust Jesus to keep us safe, which is certainly ironic, because there is actually an earth lion, right? The lion, the devil, who prowls around looking for someone to devour. He's actually the earth Lion, But what do we have? We have the heaven lion. We have the lion from the tribe of Judah who conquers the earth lion and wins in the end. And this isn't something that we're supposed to do once and then it is over. This never stops for the follower of Christ. Earlier in Romans, just to give you a taste of it, he says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. He's saying that your body, your flesh, you're picking up all these worldly ways of living and thinking. And you need to put those things to death. You need to wage war. The old scholars, they used to call it the mortification of the flesh. 
You, you wage war against the sin that is attacking you. You assault it. And you give it no quarter, in your, no, no safety in your life. An early Christian preacher and leader, John Chrysostom, it's like 300s or something like that, he said, and how is the body, it may be said, to become a sacrifice? He's talking about our very text. Let the eye look on no evil thing, and it has become a sacrifice. Let the tongue speak nothing filthy, and it has become an offering. Let thy hand do no lawless deed, and it has become a whole burnt offering. Resist. It's key. It is vital. And when you resist, that's kind of the negative side of this. But we want to pick up the positive side there in verse 2 as well. You don't conform to the pattern of this world, but you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now we're going to talk a whole lot more about that next week. It's going to be the part two of uh, this message. But you can kind of get the, the process here, right? You decide to embrace his mercy. And when you decide that, it means that you are willing to surrender the whole of your life to him. It means that you know those mercies tell you about the character of God. And it shows you that you can love him and trust him because he loved you. And you can trust him in that. And so you surrender the whole of your life. And then when you see anything in this life that starts to pull you away from that, then you resist those patterns in your own heart. Because you want to be fully surrendered. You want to trust in his mercies. So you resist those things. And then as your mind continues to get renewed by the word and by the spirit, then you'll see this decision process start again. And this actually becomes a cyclical process. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, then you will do this one time in your life where it will move you from the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of God. You will decide that you want to follow Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you will, to the best of your ability, decide to surrender your future hopes and dreams to him. Then you will see that you're going to be resisting all the stuff that tries to shape you into the image of this world, but with this renewal process that's now going on, you're going to start to see all of this incredible new life start to take root in your soul. That happens one time for every person, whether you know when that moment happened or not, it, it is not important. But it does happen at one point where you've said, I'm in. But then for every follower of Christ, this process keeps repeating itself because you will eventually say, there are parts of my life where I haven't yet trusted in God's mercy. And I'm going to surrender that. I'm going to surrender that to him so that I'm more fully surrendered. And then I'm going to resist the things that are pulling me back toward that. And then I'm going to see my mind more and more renewed. And this process will continue cyclically over and over and over. And it will lead to transformation. And this is so important because you see it here, right? It's a, do, not be, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. This word for transformed, it's metamorpho. It's the same word that we use for metamorphosis, but it was also the word used to describe what happened to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when he was just wildly and radically changed before the apostles' eyes. It was incredible to see. And that's the kind of thing we're talking about, a transformation of your, of your life that's going to look like nothing else. And that's what God wants for you. 
That's why we call this the superlative kind of life. He even references this earlier in the book of Romans. He says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. See, there's the negative side, but there's the positive side in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought, brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. You see him going back and forth. There's the resisting of the evil and there is this renewal that takes place that brings you new and vibrant and abundant life. This is the transformation. John Stott, he talks about this passage and he says, that Christian sanctity shows itself in the deeds of the body. So we are to offer the different parts of our bodies, not to sin as instruments of wickedness, but to God as instruments of righteousness. Then our feet will walk in his paths. Our lips will speak the truth and spread the gospel. Our tongues will bring healing. Our hands will lift up those who have fallen. Our arms will embrace the lonely and the unloved. Our ears will listen to the cries of the distressed and our eyes will look humbly and patiently toward God. And this now leads to this last piece of this verse, which he tells us is being able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's the second half of verse 2. You'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, so many people want to know what God's will is for their lives. So often when I'm talking to someone, they want to talk about what God's will is. I just want to know what God's will is. What does God want me to do next? What's the next step for me? Where should I go to school? Who should I date? Should I break up with the person I'm currently dating? What career should I follow? I've got these two awesome job opportunities. Which one do you think God wants me to take? Should I wear the shirt that makes me look short or the one that makes me look wide? That, that was a legit decision I had to ask this morning. Like, God, what do you want, short or wide? Uh, and the way I understand this is that we are now able to discern and desire God's will. We often wonder about a single decision here or a big life decision here and God is saying, no, when you do this process, you are going to be able to discern and desire God's will more and more. This will become a normal part of your life. You'll see God's will in a thousand ways you never even imagined possible. A thousand decisions will lay before you and you'll just step into God's will because you will now see it and you will desire it. You'll delight in it more and more, which you know what that means. It means that there will be a whole lot more transformation going on. And now you get to see kind of the whole process work. You start to discern and desire God's will. That leads to more and more transformation. How do you keep this cycle? More transformation means now you can see and you delight and desire God's will more and more. And so you actually want 
to put his will, his perfect will for your life into practice every moment of every day. You actually want to do it more and more. And how does this process go? Because you decide to trust in his mercy, you surrender fully and completely to that mercy each and every day and every single challenge that you face, you, do, you surrender more fully and completely to it and you resist being molded by this world and you watch your mind get renewed by the word and the spirit so that you might more fully and completely decide to trust in his mercy yet again. And so this is that whole cyclical kind of a process that will bring you into the superlative Christian life. There are these two opposing paths. So which one are you going to go down? Because you have a decision to make. One has all of the glamour and glitz and status and financial security and popularity and materialism and sensuality that this world can offer you. And it makes all sorts of promises that it cannot deliver. But we still get sucked in. They're not going to bring you closer to Jesus and they're not going to satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. That's the way of the pattern of this world. And this ethical call for the Christian life is absolutely transformative. The world calls you to stinginess with your time and your money. And Jesus calls you to reckless generosity with both. The world is, is telling you instead of, instead of living it with purity in mind and, and in body, we're here told to bear it all and be exposed and to flaunt it if you've got it and all of this kind of stuff. We're told here in the world you've got to protect your family and yourself at all costs. And the Christian life says that we're supposed to serve others and lay our lives down even if it's costly and risky. See, they're, they're in opposition to each other and you have to pick at the very beginning of this message. It said, Paul says, I urge you. And that's what I want to do. I want to urge you to pick. Make a decision. Surrender yourself to these mercies of God. Fully and completely. Take up this process each and every day. You know, some of you are going through the motions with Jesus. And you know it. You've felt it. You kind of put a foot in, but you're really not really there. And Jesus is saying you're... You're being, you're being conformed to the way of this world, the pattern of this world, and I have so much more for you. They're going to diverge these paths at this very first decision. Will you trust in the mercies of God? I mean, every single world religion, every secular worldview will tell you to try to obtain your mercy through your own efforts. Try to find pleasure from heaven the smile of God by working hard, by sacrificing obedience, gifts, your suffering, whatever it might be, but you're trying to earn it. And the whole of the Christian life starts with you trusting in his mercies as a gift. So will you trust that the well-lived Christian life flows out of trust in God's mercies, in his forgiveness or you keep trying to earn your own way. Because Christianity isn't about doing good to earn God's favor. It never was. It's about doing good in response to God's favor. And once you accept that gift of mercy, 
I want to encourage you to just surrender it all to him. You can actually do that today. At the end of this service, the prayer team is going to come up. We're going to be having the band come up now, and they're going to be leading us in uh, the Lord's Supper as well as another song. And after the service, we're going to have a prayer team up here who is going to want to pray with you. And maybe you're at that own, your own place in your life where you have not yet fully surrendered. You've never done it. You've said, you know what? I don't even know that I've ever decided to trust in God's mercies. In fact, I thought I had to earn God's love. If that's you, if that's where you're at today, then come on up and talk to people at the end of this service and let them pray for you and let them point you to the scriptures and, and open up for you a whole new way of living. And for others, you're saying, you know what? I did that, but lately I've been taking back all the control. And maybe you want to have someone pray with you this morning. And so again, there'll be folks up here at the end of the service. And uh, maybe if you're online, you can hit that button uh, that says uh, pray. If you're on Facebook and you don't have that button, you can email us, text us, and we will make sure somebody gets out to, to, to talk with you and pray with you and to kind of help you on uh, this journey.